when it comes to inflation, it makes sense that consumers continue to complain about the price. So again, the price is the level. So yes, eggs cost more this year than they did last year. Um, But the rate at which egg prices are rising is not as aggressive and consumers are noticing that as well. So that's good news and consumers should feel good about that. Um, But again, consumers are expressing that they are somewhat concerned about employment. You are listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board. Welcome to this episode of CEO Perspectives, a signature series by the Conference Board. CEO Perspectives are conversations that take an objective, nonpartisan look at a range of subjects that matter most to business leaders. I'm Erin McLaughlin, Senior Economist of the Conference Board and guest host of today's podcast episode. In today's conversation, we're discussing the economy and the just-released data on consumer confidence in the U.S. Joining me today is Dana Peterson, Chief Economist at the Conference Board. Welcome, Dana. Hi, Erin. It's great to be here. Thank you. So let's get right to it. What did the Conference Board's Consumer Confidence Index reveal about the state of affairs for U.S. consumers? Sure. I think the Consumer Confidence Index uh, continues to show that there's still a lot of uncertainty about the economy. While consumers are complaining a little bit less about inflation, um, they are starting to worry a little bit about jobs and uh, the business situation looking forward. Um, we did see a dip in the measure in February after a pop-up in, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, yeah, in February after a pop-up in January. Um, but January was revised down. Uh, so we really didn't see a real breakout to the upside in confidence um, to start the year. The measure is still kind of waffling around, moving sideways in a broad range. But again, it's not falling, but it's also not really spiking upward. Okay, interesting. And so I noticed that, um, that the move, as you said, the movement has been sort of, you know, within range. So what do we think is sort of driving that lack of a big movement up, you know, getting real confidence or a real negative movement? So the reason why it's not super negative is that most consumers are working Um, And they're seeing their real incomes rise gradually. And for some of them, they are seeing wage gains. And that's all good news. Um, And we've seen that consumers continue to spend on the back of those benefits. Um, Unfortunately, some of that spending is uh, on credit cards. And we've seen credit card debts rise quite a bit. The interest paid on credit cards surge and also delinquencies uh, increase. That's kind of backing up into the financial markets. Um, But- for the most part, work is good for if you're a consumer. The reason why we haven't seen a big breakout is probably because consumers are still uh, plagued by high interest rates, right. inflation, and concerns about the future. Indeed, in our write-ins, uh, consumers continue to complain about the level of infl- of prices. So mm-hmm. prices are too high. But um, in terms of the rate of inflation, which is inflation, that is... Um, the rate of increase or decrease in prices is inflation. That's cooled off a little bit and consumers are a little less worried about food and energy prices. And we've seen the one-year inflation expectations gauge continue to fall. And that's consistent with uh, fewer concerns about food and energy prices. But still in all, there's still a lot of complaints about prices 
inflation. And then we also saw in the write-ins that consumers were a little bit more concerned about employment, the employment outlook. And that okay. was evident both in the current situation and also in expectations where the, the sub-employment measures dipped. And there was also a, a pickup in concerns about the political environment. Mm. So you have a mix of um, right. drivers and factors um, affecting the consumer. And so I think that's why we're just kind of moving back and forth and not really breaking mm. out in any particular direction. Right. So obviously we're still seeing, you know, fairly low unemployment rates. Um, I know that we've seen gains in certain areas and we've seen declines in certain areas. Can you tell us about which industries we're seeing, you know, employment changes and which ones are, are still steady? Sure. Last year around this time, we published a, a job loss risk index where we said which industries are most likely to let people go and which industries are less likely. And over the course of the last year, uh, we were right. And certainly we saw more layoffs in technology, finance, transportation, and warehousing. Those were the pandemic darlings and also residential construction. Those are the pandemic darlings because it was high demand for all of those sectors. But as consumers shift away, away from only buying goods to a better balance of goods and services as interest rates rose um, and which affected housing and also the tech sector, we saw those uh, industries letting people go. Now, we have continued to see big gains in sectors that have been suffering from significant labor shortages. So mm -hmm. that's government, healthcare and social assistance, leisure and hospitality, and non-residential construction. Uh, that should make you happy, right, Erin, <laughs> because the non-residential construction <laughs> yes. uh, hiring is consistent with the uh, increases in spending on non-residential construction, especially factories as companies reshore. Right. Um, but then you have a bunch of uh, industries in the middle. And for a good chunk of last year, those industries weren't hiring or firing. They were just kind of holding on to workers. We call that hoarding. Now, in the last two employment reports, we did see a pop in those other industries hiring. So it'll be really important to look at the employment numbers next week to see if that persisted. Um, but all in all, we do think that there will be some weakness in the labor market this year as the U.S. economy slows mm -hmm. to a growth rate that's probably going to be between zero and one percent. And we think uh, the unemployment rate may rise to around four point three percent. That's roughly six hundred to seven hundred thousand job losses. But okay. that's still pretty mild. Right. Past recessions that we've seen. OK, so we know if you have a job you feel more confident in spending, your consumer confidence is higher. So Dana, which demographics are we seeing the most or least optimistic in our consumer confidence survey? Excellent question. So we canvas consumers by income and by age. And it's interesting, the oldest and the youngest groups were a little less optimistic, while the folks in the middle between 35 and 50 were a little bit more optimistic in the month. And then by income, um, the uh, lowest demographic of income demographic and the highest one were somewhat happier oh, <laughs> with the ones in the okay. middle were a little unhappy. So um, <laughs> so we're getting mixed signals here. Next. And even, even month to month, there doesn't seem to be a real pattern there. Um, and, you know, we'd love to see that, you know, elder people are happier or not. But we're not really seeing much of a pattern. So it's really just kind of a, what, what happened in the month. Interesting. 
Okay, as we see responses sort of bounce around but stay within a, a range, what are consumers' expectations regarding a recession? Excellent question. So um, for several months, the expectations gauge was above 80. And any reading above 80 indicates that consumers do not think that a recession is happening. But we dip back below that okay. in February. So we're going to have to continue to watch that number to see if it continues to remain below 80. Um, and certainly that expectation is consistent with a number of the worries that consumers expressed during the month. Now we do ask consumers outright, what do you think the likelihood of a recession is over the next 12 months? Mm -hmm. And that measure moved up a bit after several months of decline. So that's also something we're going to have to watch very closely to see if consumers are now getting worried that there's going to be a slowdown, there could be a recession. Um, I think that potentially we could continue to see weakness in both expectations and also in that measure of whether a recession is going to happen or not, because we do expect that the U.S. economy is going to slow. And that slowing is going to reflect the fact that the housing market is still quite weak because interest rates are very high. So that right. means, you know, the only real action we're seeing in housing is for new housing, but the bigger existing homes market is frozen. Um, businesses, um, you know, certainly we saw durable goods orders uh, were a little bit better. So that suggests that businesses may pick up investments later, but for the most part, they have uh, clamped down on new investments because the cost of capital is very high and there's still that uncertainty about the outlook. We also think that the contributions from government may not be as substantial. Certainly mm -hmm. we saw in twenty second half of 2022 and last year, government was a huge contributor because of spending on infrastructure and R&D. Um, but some of that may peter out this year. And then the biggest chunk of that is the consumer. Consumers probably don't have much, if any, excess savings left over from the stimulus checks. Um, they were spending more than their incomes in real terms over the course of, of last year. And that also showed up in the amount of debt that they've taken on at very high interest rates. So the culmination of what we call long and variable lags in monetary policy, we think is going to be slower U.S. growth this year. We no longer have a recession call, but it's still weak. And for some, it may feel like a recession. So that's why there's a potential that we could continue to see um, softening in the expectations gauge and then also in the confident, the current conditions gauge. But we need to watch the data. Right. So a lot of this obviously is connected to interest rates. Um, consumers are seeing rising interest rates on that credit card debt they may now have because of the lack of um, stimulus, COVID stimulus spending, you know, accounts that they had withdrawn from. What do we think interest rates or what and what do our consumers think will happen with interest rates? Yes, it's interesting. For several months, consumers were, think, were expecting interest rates to fall over the next six to 12 months. But then in the last reading, they expect interest rates to tick back up. Mm. So again, it's just one reading, but we need to watch this very closely. It's our view that interest rates are going to fall. Um, certainly uh, the Fed has paused raising interest rates. They have not signaled when they're going to start cutting rates. But once they do drop inklings to markets that they're poised for cutting interest rates, we think that you know, there will be some pulling forward of that um, market interest rates will fall and so will mortgage rates. Mm -hmm. um, and then the Fed will actually cut interest rates, we think, starting in June 
maybe they'll cut by one to one and a quarter percentage points this year. And then again, one to one and a quarter percentage points next year. Um, so we really need to watch that, that figure. Um, but certainly in the current month, consumers were a little bit skeptical about the path for interest rates. Right. So obviously we've seen the impact of higher interest rates on the housing market. Have we seen the impact on other goods such as automobile purchases and other large purchases for consumers? Well, in the consumer confidence data, we look at buying plans over a six-month average because the month-to-month -month data are very volatile. And certainly over six-month average, buying plans for homes, autos, and big-ticket appliances did slow in February. And for some of them, uh, certainly uh, for homes, it had been slowing for some time, consistent with the fact that interest rates are very high. Now, we also ask about vacations uh, this month, and um, those looking to go on vacation was a little bit weaker than the prior readings. So that may be a signal that services consumption is gonna slow. And so when we look at real data, so retail sales for uh, the first month of this year were negative. And a lot of it was because of weaknesses in goods. Mm -hmm. um, the one service component in retail sales, and that's restaurants, did pretty well. So we're going to need to see what happens in the upcoming personal consumption and expenditure data to see if the either the bad news about vacations or the good news about restaurants translated into some material movement in services consumption. Um, because certainly we know that services consumption has been a big driver of overall consumer spending because right. consumers are shifting away from only buying goods right. to a better mix of goods and services. Well, who is not dreaming of a tropical vacation here in February? <laughs> well, um, I guess they're, <laughs> consumers are not. <laughs> not. Or they're dreaming, but they're not, not acting. Right, Which leads me to my next question is what consumers are feeling consistent with their actions. Well, I think that you know there are a lot of feelings in this report. So right. when it comes to inflation, it makes sense that consumers continue to complain about the price. So against the price is the level. So yes, eggs cost more this year than they did last yes. year. Um, but the rate at which egg prices are rising is not as aggressive and consumers are noticing that as well. So that's good news and consumers should feel good about that. Um, but again, consumers are expressing that they are somewhat concerned about employment. So if that continues, we should see consumer spending slow because if right. you're afraid that you might lose your job, exactly. you're going to pull back on spending and your, your basket of spending is going to shift away from things you might desire towards things you absolutely need. Mm -hmm. Even if you think you need that tropical vacation, the eggs, <laughs> the eggs are more important. Yes. Well, we're going to take a short break and be right back with more of my conversation with Dana Peterson. What does the future of work mean for your employees? How will your company navigate ESG? Will there be a global recession? At the Conference Board, our experts translate the latest research and economic analysis into insights and real-time problem solving for your organization. Membership at the Conference Board provides your team with an assortment of knowledge from economics, marketing and communications, ESG, public policy, and human capital. As a member, you'll have access to our center experts, member-exclusive events, data and benchmarking tools, and peer sharing that will help you understand the present 
and shape the future. Consider becoming a conference board member today by visiting www.conference-board.org. Welcome back to CEO Perspectives. I'm your guest host, Erin McLaughlin, Senior Economist of the Conference Board. I'm joined by Dana Peterson, Chief Economist at the Conference Board. Dana, let's talk more broadly about the U.S. economy. What is the outlook for growth and inflation? Sure, let's start with the outlook for growth. As I mentioned, we are expecting, we are not expecting a recession anymore, but we do still expect that the U.S. economy is going to slow and over the course of the second and third quarter, maybe grow anywhere between zero and one percentage point. That's pretty weak. And so when you fold that up into the yearly average, we think that growth will, uh, the economy will expand by 1.9% this year okay. after expanding by two and a half percent last year. Um, and so this 1.9% uh, includes, yes, weaker growth in the middle, but also a pickup in growth towards the end of this year as in lower interest rates should help um, take some of the pressure off of the economy. But that's contingent upon inflation continuing to slow. Right. Now, uh, we did receive a CPI report in the U.S. a few weeks ago, and it didn't weaken as much as markets. It didn't mm -hmm. slow as much as markets anticipated. But I think markets are probably overestimating the pace at which the rental component or the housing component okay. shrinks. That's going to take a while. It's going to take probably yes. the rest of this year to get back to something that's you know more sustainable. Chair Powell of the Fed has said that inflation is going to be, it's going to be uneven. The path mm -hmm. is going to be bumpy, lumpy, bumpy. rocky, yes. all those kinds all of those words. words. <laughs> and so that's what we're seeing. But the trajectory is still the same. It's downward, and we think that's going to continue. We should get back to two percent inflation. Um, both overall and for core, which is total less food and energy, probably around probably in the second half of this year. Um, but the key is sustainable inflation. And indeed, there are some upside risks to inflation stemming from insurance costs. So yes. insurance premiums are rising for both cars and homes, cars because they're more high tech, more expensive, and homes because of uh, climate right. events. Increased You're having hazards. Fire. Mm -hmm. Yes, firefires, flooding, tornadoes, storms. And so for insurers that are not completely pulling out, they're raising premiums. Um, so there's no, we don't know when that's going to stop, these higher premiums. Um, and then there are also wages. So wages, there's still upward pressure on wages. And some of that pressure is still significant in areas that have severe labor shortages. Um, and that's because companies are holding on to workers um, they're still hiring in those uh, in those sectors where they need workers, and they're raising wages and compensation to attract and retain talent. But they're not going to absorb all that into their into their margins. They're going to pass it on to the customer. Mm -hmm. So those are two um, material upside risks we should be watching for this year in terms of inflation. But we still think inflation is headed in the right direction, back towards a two percent target sustainably. Mm -hmm. So we think the Fed may feel comfortable lowering their rate around mid-year. Can you describe what the uniqueness of a presidential election year and how that may or may not impact sort of the Fed and their activities? So elections have no impact on the Fed's activities. The Fed is okay. independent mm -hmm. of 
Congress, the administration, government. The Fed is a quasi-government entity, right. but it's independent. And Fed independence is paramount. It's whenever we've seen that story where economies, where governments influence central bank policy, you get bad outcomes, right? Yes. You get hyperinflation, severe recession. So the Fed is going to do what it needs to do. Um, if it needs to cut rates, it will. If it needs to wait, it will do that. If we have some resurgence in inflation that's disconcerting, they will raise rates. They will do whatever they need to do to address the monetary policy aspects of the U.S., according to their mandate, which is maximum employment mm -hmm. and um, inflation or it, roughly in around their 2% target. And also their unwritten mandate, which is financial stability. Yes. So they're going to engage and stay in their lane and the stay election will have no impact. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you. I, I personally have heard different uh, commentary on that. So I think it's important for us to clarify that and the independence is a great thing. So excellent. So let's shift over to the international outlook. What are the outlooks for Europe, China and other emerging economies? Sure, well, for Europe, uh, certainly last year was a tough year. Europe, uh, a number of economies went into recession or just barely skirted recession. In fact, Europe, uh, almost had what we'd call a technical recession. We don't have technical recessions in the U.S., mm -hmm. but certainly elsewhere where you don't have an official arbiter, people look at two negative quarters of GDP growth. And so we did have a few economies that had a couple of negative quarters of GDP growth or, you know, very flat growth. So looking ahead to this year, we think that, you know, the first half of the year is probably still going to be tough for Europe, but then things will improve later. So the growth rate that we're looking for for Europe as a whole is eight tenths of a percentage point okay. after rising by just a half percentage point last okay. year. Very um, small. <laughs> yes. And a lot of Europe's challenges last year was because you had the cost of living crisis. Um, when Russia invaded Ukraine, the Western uh, economies imposed sanctions on Russia and Russia retaliated by shutting off the natural gas spigots to Western Europe. So that meant prices surged. But the thing is that like the the extent to which prices surged was capped and the duration of elevated prices were limited because you had two things happening. First of all, Europeans went into crisis mode and mm -hmm. they changed their consumption. They lowered of their consumption of energy. Yes. And they also found um, sources of energy from new markets from the United States and the Middle East. Mm -hmm. So that helped to contain the crisis. Um, and But still in all, um, that was a huge blow to many economies. And then also um, some economies, especially Germany, did re experience a recession last year. And Germany, is their growth is very much tied to the performance of China. So okay. they have very strong trading ties. And so when China is not doing well, Germany gets hit. And also Germany was impacted by the energy surge, which impacted their ability to run their factories. So looking ahead to Europe, a little bit better data, but not much, still growth beneath 1%. Looking at China, we do not expect a recession in China, nor a crash, nor a financial crisis. However, we do expect that Chinese growth is going to slow from 5.2% last year to 4.1% this year. Okay. And that is uh, a pretty slow growth rate for China. Um, now, China, 
even dating back to, you know, maybe 2014, 2015, wanted to reorient its economy towards one that was less supply driven and more demand driven. And that means slower growth, but nothing has gone right. <laughs> so <laughs> they're, they're slowing, but it's because of an excess of supply and insufficient demand, right? right. So the excess supply is in housing. Um, it's in, you know, still investments and in, in things that aren't necessarily going to bolster growth. Um, and then there's a lack of demand from consumers. Okay. So consumers are are very unhappy. Um, they were unhappy during the pandemic with the extended lockdowns. Um, the lockdowns ended, they were a little bit happy, but then the housing crisis wiped out a ton of wealth for consumers. And so they're still very unhappy about that. And they are engaging in what we call precautionary savings, which okay. means because there's no social safety net, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't spend. Okay. So, and meanwhile, external growth has been weak. So that means China's yeah. exports have not been as strong. Um, so even with all of that, we still expect that China will grow by 4.1%. Mm -hmm. um, and that in terms of its contribution to global GDP growth, and we think global GDP will expand uh, by 2.8% this year from 3.1% last year, China is still going to be a, a tremendous contributor to growth, along with India and other ASEAN economies. Um, but still in all, a ratcheting down in growth. Right. And some of that is their unique demographic challenges as well. Yes. China is um, one of the few emerging markets that has a massive issue with labor. So right. they have many, many older people, baby boomers who are shifting out of the workforce into retirement stage. And also they have a massive mismatch between skills and what's needed in terms of workers among their younger people. So many younger people are very heavily educated, and but they don't want to do the factory jobs, right? So right. they're just, they're choosing, you know, to be unemployed. So, so China has a shrinking workforce because it's aging rapidly, yes. like many advanced economies. Um, and also you have this problem where you can't place youth in work relative to what they've been educated for. So those are all definitely challenges for China, not only now, but in the future as well. Okay. So globally, what are our key upside and downside risks? Sure. So I think the risks are still probably tilted to the downside um, relative to the upside. But, you know, in terms of downside risks, I still, we still think that inflation or at least upward pressures on mm -hmm. inflation will persist. So it's going to going to come from labor shortages and mm -hmm. the result is higher wages, which feeds to inflation. Deglobalization, which is something you write a ton about yes. in terms of supply chains being moved um, to new locations and right. in some cases being reshored, um, that's expensive and building new factories is expensive. That's going to be passed on to the yeah. consumer. The energy transition, which is also your space, yes. is going to be very expensive. You've written about the fact that our, <laughs> you know, in the U.S. Uh, and across the world, grids are old, especially in the U.S. And especially you don't have, in the U.S., yes. And we don't Absolutely. have the proper infrastructure to accommodate um, fossil fuels. Yes. I'm sorry, renewables. the move from fossil yeah. fuels to renewables. So that's going to be expensive. And then you still have issues around housing supply. 
Um, there are a number of economies around the world, including the U.S., where you have strong demand for housing, but insufficient supply. And when we know that there's a mismatch between the two, you have higher prices. Yes. We're also concerned that you could have a redux of last year's banking crisis, but for a different reason. And that reason is commercial real estate in the U.S., which is also something you've written a lot yes, about. Yes, yes where um, you're seeing weakness in commercial real estate, in particular in, ha in office space, because of hybrid work. So hybrid work is a big thing here in the US. It's a little less of a big thing abroad. But the point is that many um, financial institutions have lent to the commercial real estate space. Many of those loans are coming due. Meanwhile, the valuations have collapsed because Absolutely. of office space. And you, there's fears of contagion abroad because you have European and Asian investors who are invested in U.S. commercial real estate. So we're very concerned about that as a, as a downside. Um, but then, of course, geopol geopolitical concerns, which is really, I think, what causes me to think about implications for downside risks. We have ongoing wars in Russia, yes. uh, between Russia and Ukra Ukraine. Um, Israel and Hamas, and that's filtering out into um, tensions between Iran and, and other economies. Um, and then you also have the ongoing tensions between the U.S. and China and what that can mean along a number of fronts. But to the upside, and I want to end on an upside. Yes, that would be good. <laughs> you know, we do, we could see, definitely see the geopolitical landscape improve with peaceful ends to these conflicts and ceasefires. Um, and things like that. But we could see material uh, improvements in productivity as many companies are trying to combat labor shortages with technology. Right. Some of that technology also includes AI. Right. And AI can be very productive. And we've also had tremendous investments, certainly in the US and even abroad in Europe and, and China in infrastructure and um, renewable the technology and the materials you need for renewable energy um, and all of those things enhance productivity because um, it allows companies and consumers to do what they need to do faster and at a lower cost. Mm -hmm. And um, given the fact that we have labor shortages, many companies are looking to upskilling, reskilling and um, repurposing employees to make them more productive um, in the spaces that they need to be in and also marrying technology with human work. <laughs> exactly. So it's an, it's improving productivity. our labor market and improving yes. our existing labor productivity and not taking away. Right. Yes. And then also you have expanding middle classes around the world and the poster child is India. So India oh, is excellent. This could be India's decade where the government is focused very much on investments in India. That'll make it a global player. Um, India also has the largest, um, population in the world. And that population is younger and yes. highly educated. So those are all positives towards um, moving more individuals from um, lower incomes to the middle class. And when people move to the middle class, they demand things. They want they want goods and services, and that generates growth. So all those things are, are definitely upsides for the global economy, both now and over the next decades. Okay, well, this is ex excellent to end on a high note. So finally, what, what do we think our bottom line for our CEOs listening is as we reflect on, on this past month and, and the months going forward? Sure, there's still a lot of uncertainty in the outlook, 
Um, indeed, we are expecting that global growth is going to be slower this year relative to last year, but there still will be growth. And consequently, CEOs in our CEO confidence survey and our C-suite outlook are still focused on growth. And that growth en encompasses investments in people, in technology, in processes, and also expansion into new product lines and into new regions. So there's still a lot of confidence out there, but it's cautious optimism, I would say. Okay. Well, cautious optimism is better than negativity in, in my in my opinion. So, well, this has been great. Uh, Dana, thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Erin. And thanks to all of you for listening into CEO Perspectives. Every week, we are joined by a prominent thought leader to provide insights on issues of our time. We'll cover the leading topics in economics, public policy, ESG, human capital, and more. Please share CEO Perspectives with your colleagues. I'm Erin McLaughlin, and this series has been brought to you by the Conference Board. You have been listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board. 